Well, good morning, and uh, it is good to be with all of you today. Good morning to our online audience. We're so glad you're joining us. And as we begin, I want to encourage you to think about your BFF. And for those of you that aren't familiar, that's a term that's emerged in the last few years, best friend forever. Think about your BFF, and if you're married, maybe your BFF is a given, that's your spouse. I want you to maybe think of your second BFF, right? And uh, think about your closest friend and what it is that you particularly enjoy about them. What's your favorite thing about them? What makes them your BFF? I would venture a guess that somewhere towards the top of your list is something to do with how easy it is to communicate with them. That it, it just, the conversation flows naturally. It's not hard. You don't feel like you got to pull any punches or, or like you got to, you know, skirt around issues, those types of things. That there's a genuine interest in each other and in what you might have to share. That there's comfort and ease in the conversation. And that sort of sets the table for one of the things we're going to be talking about today as we continue our series, Can You Hear Me Now? It's a series on prayer. If you haven't figured that out yet, or if you're new to the table, it's really focused on prayer and increasing our connection with God. Because as Pastor Zach was talking this morning about our mission, about our vision, about our core values and what really matters to us, where we're going, how we plan to get there, and what is laying the foundation of that. That's what a mission, a vision, and, a whole, and core values are. All of those are saturated with prayer. If we're going to be effective in accomplishing our mission to reach people for Christ, give them a place to belong, help them grow in their faith, it's going to be undergirded in prayer. So that's why this matters so much. This matters for you individually in your relationship with God, and it matters for us corporately as we seek to accomplish the mission and the vision that God has set before us. Prayer matters. And so it's, it's wonderful to celebrate the 24 hours of prayer that we had. I always love to preach on the Sunday after 24 hours of prayer because, I mean, this place is just saturated. You guys have been in here praying. We had a wonderful uh, sign-up, great participation, and it was just awesome. And I can feel it when I walk in here on a Sunday morning when we've had a 24 hours of prayer. There's something in the air. I believe it's the Holy Spirit, and I believe he's here, and he's with us, and he longs to speak to us. He longs to hear from us. He longs to draw us into deeper communication and communion with God. So in this series, just a quick recap, we've been asking this question, can you hear me now, both from our perspective to God, the God who is always listening, but also from God's perspective to us, the God who is always speaking. Can you hear me, God? Can I hear you, God? And so as we've worked through this, we've asked that question and we've kind of settled on this idea that communion with God is the goal of prayer. That when we are communicating with God, when we are praying, our main goal is to have communion with God. This common union where, where we are one with him, where we experience Christ-likeness in our hearts and in our minds. And so... As we move through this, last week we, we looked at increasing our reception. How do we increase our reception? How do we hear God more clearly? And we looked at a case study of the prophet Elijah. And we learned some powerful things about prayer that proximity and availability are what increases our reception when we stay close to God, when we don't run away from him like Elijah did. It ended up being a case study in God, not a case study in Elijah. We learned more about prayer through how God pursues and remains in the mix with Elijah. 
And so today we're going to talk about boosting our signal. We talked about last week, we talked about increasing our reception. Now how do we boost our signal? How do we add power to our prayers? What are the things that we can do to grow stronger in prayer? And perhaps the first step is to recognize that this is a process. This is a process that takes time and attention and intention. Think about anything you want to get good at. Think about a hobby that you maybe picked up at some point in your life. You were not good at it right away. You maybe saw somebody who was good at it and you thought, man, I want to do that too. If you've ever p- tried to hit a golf ball into, a, into that little hole. It's not easy. And you're right about ready to walk away from it and then you hit that perfect drive and it does that little draw and lands and rolls just like it's supposed to. You're like, oh, I want to do that again. Or maybe think about some other hobby that you've picked up, some other interest that you have taken. You were not good at it when you started. But maybe you learned, maybe you practiced, maybe you read articles or you watched YouTube videos and you learned how to do it. And there was trial and error and there were things. And gradually over time you got better. Well, I think prayer is much the same way, that, that we learn to pray by praying. That we learn to pray and we become stronger in prayer and we learn to love to pray through praying, through time and attention and intention with prayer. And there are things that we can do along the way. I think consistency, fervency, and holiness do more to increase our prayer than anything else when we are consistent in it. When we pray whether we feel like praying or not, we keep showing up. We consistently do that. When we add fervency to our prayer, we find areas of passion and we increase the fervency of our prayer. That grows our prayer life throughout the prayers that we pray and holiness. When we begin to pursue a Christ life Christ-like lifestyle, say that five times fast. When we begin to pursue a Christ-like lifestyle and we get rid of the things that we shouldn't be doing and we do more of the things that we should be doing, our prayer increases, the power of our prayer increases. But I've also noticed, and there was uh, something I read this summer um, in in the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It came with a devotional called Day by Day. And so the idea was just little devotionals to go along with the book. And one of them outlined this progressions of prayer that we can grow and sort of progress in our prayers. And so I've based this, what I'm about to share with you, off of that, but sort of contextualized it for the language that matches my heart a little bit better and, and kind of moves with what we've been talking about in this series. And so the first level of prayer, if you will, is talking at God. Talking at God, right? These are the memorized prayers. These are the rote prayers. They can just roll off the tongue. Maybe you learned these as children. And okay, it's time to say this prayer. And you say that prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. And and you memorize them. And it doesn't mean that they're not meaningful and they don't serve a purpose. I'm not saying any of these levels are bad. But this is the first level. This is a memorized prayer. I still pray memorized prayers throughout the day. I get prayer focuses and I put them in my phone to remind me to pray for that thing throughout the day. And so I do this. And there's nothing wrong with memorized prayers. Don't hear me say that. But that's just the first level. We're talking at God. And if we're not careful, we can lose the meaning over time. Or that prayer becomes more about our comfort in praying it than about our connection with God. I think this maybe is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7, and 8, 
When he was talking about prayer, teaching about prayer, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching about prayer. And he says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So there is a possibility that talking at God can devolve to babbling like pagans, and Jesus warned us against that. He said, don't be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. So it's not that you need to pray a certain prayer a certain number of times in order to be heard or in order to be absolved or in order, there's, there's no formulas like that. Jesus is breaking that down. And so that's the first level, praying at God. If you're a note taker, this is a sermon series for, or this is a sermon for you, I should say. You might want to get out a piece of paper and start taking some notes because I'm going to do through, go through a couple of different little progressions and you might wish halfway through, oh, I wish I'd been writing that down. So the first level is praying at God. The second level is talking to God talking to God. This is where we begin to express ourselves to God. This is where we become more personal, more intimate. We're not just praying a prayer that was taught to us. We're articulating what's going on in our heart, in our mind, in our will, in our emotions. Maybe you've heard the ACTS acronym, A-C-T-S, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. That's a little formula for, for talking to God in prayer. You start with adoration. You adore God. You worship him. You praise him. You move to confession. You confess the things in your life that are not as they should be, maybe sins or struggles or those types of things. Then you move to thanksgiving. You thank God for the good news of the gospel, that you can be forgiven for those things, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you finish with supplications. You ask God for things that you need, that you, need, that you want for others. You intercede for others, A-C-T-S. This is talking to God about our needs, our wants, our intercession for others. Now, the third level, moving beyond, and I'm not saying you just pick one and go with it. You, you can move throughout these. But the third level is hearing from God. This is where we begin listening to him through his word, through his spirit, through fellowship with other people. We've been talking about this throughout this series, that there are a number of ways that we can hear from the God who is always speaking. And here, prayer and communication becomes a two-way relationship. It's not just us praying at God or talking to God, but now we're hearing from God. We're hearing from God from his word. We, we maybe do like a soap journal, like our Banding Together journal. We, we read scripture. Now we're hearing from God. We make some observations. We begin to apply those scriptures to our hearts, and we're hearing from God specifically from his word about something in our lives. And then we close in a prayer where we kind of articulate that. God, thank you for this truth and how it intersects my life in this situation or in that relationship or in this thing that's coming up. And so we can ask questions of God. We can receive answers from God. We can do this through his word, through fellowship, through prayer. And lastly, this should come as no surprise, but the fourth level, the fourth level is communion with God. We're not just communicating, but we're merging. We, we just enjoy his presence. We can spend time in his presence and find joy and peace in that and recognize that he is always with us and that the constancy of his presence brings peace and joy to us. We begin to practice the presence of God. And so if you think about this and we think back to our BFF, right, that we opened up with, 
there's a similarities in the continuum of a strong friendship. You begin this relationship, and you might talk at each other, really, more than you talk to each other. It's news, weather, and sports. It's, it's you know, just surface-level stuff, right? And we're just talking back and forth, kind of following the little scripts that society gives us. When we first meet somebody, that's how we get to know them a little bit. But if there's a spark, if there's a relationship, if there's a common interest, then you begin to talk to each other, Right? And it's still maybe a little bit more about what I have to say to you than what you have to say to me, but I feel like there's some trust and I want to share that with you. And so in this friendship that's developing, you start talking to each other and you express things. You get beyond the news, weather, and sports. You move down to maybe a different level where you're talking about some emotions or some situations or some values that you have. And lastly, you begin to really hear each other and experience communion. And that's why the best friendships, the best marriages, they pick up right where they left off. You enjoy spending time with each other without the need to communicate. You can just be. And this is a parallel for our relationship with God. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 25. And if you have a Bible or you want to grab one from the seats in front of you, if you're here in the room, those of you online, all the scriptures will be on the screen. But I do think there's value in having a Bible open in front of you. Turn to page 863 for those of you here in the room and uh, Psalm 25 for all of us. This is a Psalm of David. And I think we're going to see today that it's a template for prayer, particularly increasing our our signal, boosting our signal. I came across a quote recently that I just really loved, and it it articulates this very well. It says, prayer is the language of faith. Think about that. Prayer is the language of faith. Like any other language, the best way to learn it is to listen to native speakers and practice. In so doing, we draw closer to God, who came to speak to us in our language so that we could learn his. Don't you love that? That prayer is the language of faith and that like any other language, you learn it best by listening to native speakers. Like I I took three courses of Spanish in college. I even have a piece of paper because that got me an associate's degree somehow. I figured out a way to get a piece of paper that said I can speak Spanish. I can't speak much Spanish, but I can tell you when I could speak the most Spanish was at the end of a two-week mission trip to Peru. Because I had been hearing native speakers the entire time. I had been speaking to pastors and to uh, other believers through translation. And so everything I said in English, he said in Spanish. And I began to understand and connect some dots. And I spoke more Spanish at the end of that two-week mission trip than I did at the end of those three college classes and the piece of paper. Because I listened to native speakers. And so this is really powerful. And do you realize that right in the middle of your Bible is the whole book of Psalms. It's the biggest book in the Bible. And there are 150 prayers from native speakers to God that you can use as models, that you can use to learn. Some of them are laments where they're just pouring out their heart and soul to God. And they're, they're sad about something. They're upset about something. They're frustrated. They're afraid. Others are, are worship. Yes. Amen. That's my amen for the morning over here. (laughs) Others are worship and everything in between. In fact, I did a series on the Psalms a couple years ago called All the Feels. And it's because Psalms runs through the whole range of human emotions. And you have a tremendous resource to hear from native speakers and to learn how they interacted with God and how he wants to interact with us. And so we're going to use Psalm 23 to help, or sorry, Psalm 25 to help us draw closer to God, help us to learn 
his language a little bit. And David writes this psalm. It's a powerful psalm. And the English Standard Version Study Bible broke it down into six different sections that I just really liked. And I said, oh man, this is good. This is, this is helpful. We could use this in our own prayer life. And so I'm going to run you through those. And we'll use that as a little bit of an, a roadmap. Now, one thing that your Bible might tell you is that this psalm was originally written in the Hebrew language as an acrostic. An acrostic is something where, where each line or each opening line of, of the psalm, it starts with a different letter. And sometimes acrostics spell a word. Other times acrostics just go through the alphabet. This one just goes through the Hebrew alphabet. And so I wonder sometimes if that's not meant to be helpful to, to memorize. Like, okay, where, where do I start next? Okay, well, I know where I start next because of the acrostic, and you can move through that. It's a great way to memorize things. And so I think that's maybe what was going on here. So it's possible that the Hebrew people used this psalm as a template themselves. They memorized the structure, and they could, they could articulate their own heart and mind as they prayed to God following this format. So the first thing that we see in verses 1 through 3 is an expression of trust. This psalm opens with an expression of trust. As we see moving through the psalm, it's more of a lament, actually, and this gets classified as a lament. There's some struggle, there's some difficulty going on, but it starts with an expression of trust. And I think your prayers should start with an expression of trust. And so as we look in verses 1 through 3, the psalmist David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose lips, I'm sorry, no one whose hopes is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. So the psalmist starts with an expression of trust. That, that phrase, I lift up my soul, that really means I'm, I'm directing all my desires to you. The soul is the center of our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's our soul. That's the part of us that is not physical, but, but directs everything that our physical bodies do. Our soul is what we think about. It's what we feel It's where we're going and our desires. And so he's lifting all of that up to God. He's saying, I lift my soul up to you. In you, I put my trust. Why? Because no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. To be put to shame means to be publicly exposed or shown for having a false basis for hope. And the psalmist is saying, I put my hope in the one place where I will never be publicly ashamed. If I put my hope in anything else, eventually I'll be disappointed. I'll be shown to have put my hope in the wrong place. But the psalmist recognizes this. And so he opens this psalm by declaring and expressing trust. He moves quickly to a desire for guidance. A desire for guidance. And I find this interesting. He's not praying just to confirm what he already thinks, but he's asking for guidance. Oh, Lord, show me your ways, oh, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. If you trust God, you want to seek his guidance. If you trust him as a worthy source of information, a worthy source of wisdom, how to live my life, then you want his guidance. And we see in this passage that it's talking about ways, it's talking about paths, it's used the language all day long. It's not just talking about some intellectual information, it's talking about, I want to change my lifestyle. I want you to guide me in the way that I should go, in the lifestyle that I should live, in the principles that should be guiding my life. Life. Not just looking to confirm, but 
seeking to please God. Show me if there's anything in my life that's not right. Teach me your ways, especially where my ways are different from your ways. Then we see a desire for forgiveness. So first, we have an expression of trust, then a desire for guidance. Third, a desire for forgiveness. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. You see that word remember comes three times, right? Remember, remember, remember. It's like a remember sandwich. Remember your love, don't remember my sins, and remember your love, right? And so he's saying, I want you to remember me in your love. And to remember, we talked about this a little bit in the last series, but to remember something in this sense, in the biblical sense, is to attend to it in order to act. To live as if it's true. Remember your love, God. Remember me in your great love and mercy. Don't remember the sins of my youth. Don't act according to them. But remember me, for you are good. And so we see this celebration getting started, that he's asking him not to attend to his sin and rebellion, but to remember him in love, to think of him in love. He's asking for forgiveness. And that leads into number four. The fourth thing that we see here is a praise for the Lord's goodness and mercy. In verses 8 through 11, we see praise. Right at the heart of this psalm is praise. It's celebration. He's celebrating God's character and goodness when he says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity through, though it is great, though it is great. And so here in this central few verses, there's praise for the Lord's goodness and mercy, and it sort of combines verses four and five where he's seeking insight. He's affirming, God, you like to do this. You like to instruct sinners. You like to guide the humble. So he combines those ideas with the mercy and love that he's been celebrating in verse six and seven. And he celebrates God's character and goodness that he is loving and faithful. And so he's saying this praise to God, but I think he's also reminding himself. These are the characteristics that are at the heart of the God that he is praying to. Now in section 5 here, verses 12 through 15, there's an expression of confidence in the Lord's friendship. Confidence in the Lord's friendship. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He, God, will instruct the man or woman who fears the Lord in the way chosen for him. He will spend all his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. There's confidence in God's friendship. In fact, this phrase, the Lord confides in verse 14, the English Standard Version can translates that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He's talking about friendship. He's talking about confiding. There's intimacy. There's a relationship here. There's an inner circle. There's fellowship being experienced between the two. There's a close relationship with God. 
And this brought to mind something that I share in our discipleship trainings, that I share in some of our membership or or Next Steps classes and so forth. And I want to share it with all of you as a good reminder. It breaks through the different sort of relational spheres of our lives. And so this image on the screen starts with the crowds and the biggest circle on the outside. And then it begins to move inward. And we follow Jesus's ministry in this. And we see that Jesus ministered to the crowds, right? But he also had the 72. And the interesting thing about crowds is that they might all know the speaker, but the speaker doesn't know all of them, unless he's Jesus, of course. Okay, so there's a little caveat there. But there's the 72. Once you get to the 72, then you can at least know each other's names, probably, and have some familiarity. Moving in from the 72, Jesus had the 12, right? He had the 12 disciples. And he was a lot closer with them, and he interacted with them a whole lot. But that wasn't his closest circle. There was also the three Peter, James, and John, we see throughout the Gospels that he often went farther with Peter, James, and John. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They went with him in the Garden of Gethsemane into that sort of inner circle. But that's still not the tightest circle in Jesus' relationship. It was his one-on-one relationship with God. And he prayed constantly to God, and he withdrew from all the others to get alone with God on a regular basis. And so this becomes a powerful template for us. Think about a friend first. That when your relationship begins, they're just one of the crowd. But over time, you get to know each other a little bit more, and they become maybe part of that inner circle of acquaintances, maybe 70 or 80 people that you know and interact with on a semi-regular basis. But as your relationship deepens, they move in further. And then maybe they're part of what you would call like the 12. I've, I've heard it called your board of directors. These are people you would go to before you would make a decision. You would bounce some things off of them. You would ask them for input. input. But even beyond that, you have a three. And a really good friend, a really close friend, a BFF friend, is probably in that inner circle of three or four people that you talk to on a regular basis. Weekly, maybe, or more often. And they provide wisdom and direction and insight for your life. But only one person belongs in that inner circle, and that's God himself. And depending on where you are in your relationship with God, he might fall in any one of these circles. He might be just one of many voices. And so you don't go to him all that often. You don't go to scripture all that often because he's just one of the crowd. He's one of the many voices. And if you're trying to make a decision, you're probably not going to pull the whole crowd, right? But as you move inward and as your relationship with God deepens, it moves inward. And now he becomes one of maybe many voices, but that you pay a little bit more attention. I can see this in my own life, that there was a time when it was pretty much God was part of the crowd. And I was paying a lot more attention to a lot of other voices. But as my relationship with God grew, it got to a point where he was like in that inner circle of of three. And I listened to him a lot, but he wasn't first until I crossed over the line of faith, until I said, God, it is all you. And I developed a hunger and a thirst for his word. And I wanted to know what he had to say about all kinds of things, about everything. And I wouldn't move unless I felt like God was telling me to move. And I would stop when I felt God telling me to stop. And this is the type of relationship that we're supposed to have. It mirrors Jesus's relationship with God when he said in John, I think it's chapter 8. We just read it in the banding together. But he said, I do nothing 
unless my father tells me to do it. I thought, oh, that's the way it should be for us. And so we see this confidence in the Lord's friendship. And I wonder, where is God for you right now? Which circle is God in for you? It's worth asking that question and saying, God, do you want to be further in? Have I put you on the outside somehow? Because this last section, verses 16 through 22, we see a request for forgiveness and protection. And it's made on the basis of everything that has come before it. It's made on the basis of that expression of trust, of desire for guidance, a desire for forgiveness, praise for the Lord's goodness and mercy, and confidence in the Lord's friendship. Then we see a request for forgiveness and protection. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Now we're really getting down to the heart and soul of this prayer. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. That all comes back to hope, doesn't it? His hope is in God alone for himself and for his nation. This points us back to verse 3 where he said, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous and without excuse. And so he has enemies, but his confidence is in the Lord. And you might say, I don't have any enemies circling around me like this. And I'll tell you, in the spiritual realm, you absolutely do. If you don't have physical, personal enemies that are coming against you and attacking you, praise the Lord for that. But there is an enemy that is often unseen that is always working for our demise, always working to get us to choose something other than a closeness with God, a connection with God. And so we need to pray that we would be strong against those enemies as well. And we need to remind ourselves of our trust in God. Do you really trust him? Because if you really trust him, then you're going to look for guidance. You're going to desire his forgiveness. You're going to praise his goodness and mercy. You're going to have confidence in his friendship. And that will be the basis of that relationship. Do you trust him like sheep trust a shepherd? Or they just follow him? I don't need to know where we're going because I'm following the shepherd. And I don't need to know what it looks like where he's going because he's there. And if he's there, that's where I want to be. That's how sheep follow a shepherd. They hear his voice. If you're in the banding together just this morning, John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. We talked about that in one of the earlier weeks, that we hear the voice of the shepherd. And the better we know God, the more we will trust him. And so that's where consistency, fervency, holiness, talking to, hearing from, communion with God through his word, through prayer, through worship, through fellowship, through serving, through study, through time and attention over time with intention. If you want to boost your signal, use this as a, as, a, as a format, as a template, as a roadmap. Begin to declare and express your trust in God through prayer. Remind yourself who he is. Acknowledge your desire for guidance and forgiveness. Praise him for his goodness and his mercy. Worship him. Celebrate your confidence in his friendship toward you. And make your request of him. Trust him with the outcomes. You see all that in this psalm. You see that from David. A man 
after God's own heart. He has shown us a way to grow and to increase in the power of our prayer. And so our bottom line today, as our worship team comes and makes their way back up here, our bottom line today goes back to that quote that I shared with you at the beginning, that prayer is the language of faith. David has shown us a way to pray that reinforces our faith, that reinforces our faith in who God is, reinforces our faith in what is available to us through a relationship with him, reinforces our faith by praising his goodness and mercy, by expressing our confidence in his friendship. And by making our requests to the God who is sovereign over all, prayer is the language of faith. May we all draw closer to the God who came to speak to us in our language so that we could learn to speak his language. So I want to encourage you today, if you need a homework assignment, here's your homework assignment. Reread Psalm 25, meditate on it, reflect on it. Think about the different components that we talked about. And then write it out in your own words. Write it out in your own words. Articulate this. Move beyond just using this psalm to pray those words. That's powerful. But it's even more powerful when we begin to use this and articulate it in our own words. And go through each of those sections and personalize it for yourself. And then remember, the next time you're not quite sure what to pray or how to pray, that you can go to the Psalms. And the Psalms can show you the way. Maybe Psalm 25, or maybe you have a favorite Psalm. I would encourage you to try to break it down, try to understand it, try to use it, personalize it for yourself. Will you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for your incredible, passionate, unending interest and love for us. God, help us to have the same love for you. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to grow through prayer. Help us to look to you. Celebrate your, our confidence that you are with us, that you are for us. Lord, we need you more than we know. And you are always available to us. Help us to rejoice in that. In Jesus' name we pray.